Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. This is part six in this series, and I call it the great problem solver. And a problem is something we, um, the, pro- well, the problem that we're going to look at is this, is something we like to downplay, and that's our sin, because we call sin a weakness. This is semantical. How you say, it, you know, is sin. We call it a weakness. Some people say, um, or they call their sin a lack, or better yet, a deficiency in me. They don't call it sin. That's a harsh word. It sounds a lot better to say I'm weak instead of I'm a sinner. You know, same people when people die, you know, we got this thing going on today, you know, not many of us say he or she died in him, or what do we say? We say he passed. And I ask myself the question, why do we say he passed? Maybe because um, it's not as realistic as saying he or she died. I'm serious about that. Why do you say he passed when they died? I mean, it, it's softer. See, it takes the bite off. And real Christians don't need to sugarcoat death and say he passed. That's sugarcoating death. I mean, real Christians can look death in the face and they can say he died, she died, with the understanding that Jesus Christ beat death. So every time you want to say he passed or she passed, catch yourself and see my disapproving look. (laughs) Picture my disapproving look, okay? (laughs) And tell yourself, I'm a believer, man. I'm not afraid to die. Face it for what it is and say he died. Same deal with sin. It's not a weakness in your character. It's sin. And there's two Greek words for sin. The original language of the New Testament. One means missing the mark, missing God's high standard. The other means transgression. I mean, here's a line. As long as you stand this side of the line, you're cool. But you step over that line, you're in the area of sin, not of weakness, see? It's a sin against God. Now, true or false, sin is no big deal. Yeah, you should be screaming false. Here's how big a deal sin is. But in Romans 6, 23, the word of God says this, for the wages of sin is, and you know this, the wages of sin, if you think it's a small thing, is death. And then it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But the wages of sin is death. And you want to see, I mean, you, you just look at John the Apostle in Revelation chapter 1. This guy was a disciple of Jesus Christ. This guy was a, he was a sent out apostle of Jesus Christ. And in Revelation chapter 1, he saw the risen Christ in all his glory. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, John says, When I saw him, I fed. This is an apostle of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is a guy who walked, who walked in the steps of Christ and served him. When I saw him, in all his glory, there isn't Christ. The word of God says, I fell at his feet as though dead. See, when you see God in his pristine holiness, you know that you deserve to die. I look at Revelation Revelation 20 at verse 11, and this is the last judgment scene when Christ comes to judge the unbelievers. We call it the great white throne judgment. The rapture is over. The um, tribulation under the beast or antichrist is over. The 1,000 year millennial reign of Christ is over. And now the unbelievers are raised and they stand before the great white throne of Jesus Christ. And Revelation 20 verse 11 says, then I saw a great white throne and him who, who was seated on it, the Lord, now look at this, Revelation 20, 11. Earth and sky, what did they do? Fled. See that? Earth and sky 
fled from the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ because he is holy and they are sinners and sin cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. The person has to flee. He has to run. Or like John, a true believer in Jesus Christ, an apostle banished for preaching Christ, he saw the holy Christ and what did he say? He said, I'm dead. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. But I'll tell you what, we don't think like that. I'll bring it down to me. I remember a time a little while ago, somebody asked if I could go to such and such a place, if I could meet him there, something like that. And I remember that my brother was coming that day, my brother from Cleveland. I said, oh, I can't do it. My brother's coming from Cleveland. I don't see my brother that often. And that was true. I mean, my brother was coming from Cleveland that day. But he wasn't coming until late in the afternoon. And I could have gone. I just didn't want to go. And said, oh, I can't come. My brother's coming from Cleveland. Folks, that is death. I mean, I deserve to die for that sin. I deserve to die. But you don't see it that way. I I mean, I didn't send that sin, hang up the phone. I mean, it it struck me after a while that I could have gone and I was wrong and it was sin, but I didn't think I deserved to die. Never thought that, but I do for that one sin. The people at the great white throne judgment knew that. They fled. I mean, they saw Jesus, man. And what did they do? They fled. They fled from his presence. John the apostle, the great apostle of Jesus Christ, saw the risen Christ, the holy Lord Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He said, I am dead, baby. I am dead. Or he said, I deserve to die. And he buried his face in his hands and he waited for the axe to fall. That didn't happen. Revelation Revelation 1, 17, when Jesus saw him, he said, when Jesus saw him, or when I saw him, I'm sorry, when I saw him, John said, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then look what Jesus did. He placed his right hand on me and he said, don't be afraid. Very reason I came is so you don't have to die. That's mercy. I call this the great problem solver. And now the problem and the solution Sin is so much an offense to our God. So much so that that, that for one sin, you and me deserve to be banished from his presence forever. And we call it hell. God in his justice, this is the problem, must deal with sin. God is a just God. And he must deal with sin. God cannot pretend it never happened. God cannot say, oh, I love you so much, I'm just going to overlook this. God, 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 God can't do that. If God did that, if God overlooked your sin, I mean, if God would overlook that one sin, he wouldn't be just. And if he weren't just, he wouldn't be God. Because if God ignored sin, he is not God and we're all hopelessly lost forever. The wages of sin is death. God has to deal with it. So what did God do to solve this big sin problem? And the problem is this. He loves us beyond words. Now get a hold of the problem. This is the great problem solver. The problem is this. God loves us with a love beyond words. And he wants to spend eternity with you and me. That's that's God's desire. Jesus said in John 14, you know, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also, see? But at the same time, our holy God must punish sin and he must separate himself from sinners. And that's why there is a hell. So here you've got this tension. You've got this dilemma. You've got a loving God who wants to spend forever with you. And we are sinners and he has to banish you from his presence. That's the problem. Now, as I consider this, I want to scream, what a God we have. Because I'm going to look at Psalm 113. And that's our basic text today in this Word of God, Psalm 113, because the answer's in there, and the first thing we deal with is praise. If you want to look at Psalm 113, I'd appreciate it, because it's a great psalm. 
And there's some words here you need to underline. Psalm 113, beginning in verse 1. Whoever wrote it under inspiration of God writes, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. That's you and me. That's every believer. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Do you ever sing to God? Just hum a tune. You know, kind of even in your mind, in your soul, you just hum a tune, something you heard here in church, something you heard in a CD or something like that, and let a song flow through your mind about God. That's praise. I do a lot. I do that a lot. From the rising of the setting of the sun, God wants us to do that. I mean, ever ask yourself, where did God come from? Never ask that question. Ever think about stuff like that? Where did God come from? And realize he is and he existed. He never had a beginning. And that stretches you to the limit. And so you quit trying to figure out and say, I believe it because God's word said said it is so. That's praise. Ever think this is my God? I'm his. He's mine. That's praise. And that's what these first two verses of Psalm 113 mean. We should be praising God like that. Let me read, let me read verse three again. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, from morning till night, every waking moment, the name of the Lord should be praised. And then you get to verse four. The Lord is exalted over all the nations. I've got that word over circled. His glory is above the heavens. I've got the word above circled. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high? I've got the word high circled. So you've got three words, over, above, high. You've got enthroned. You've got exalted, high and lifted up, folks. That is our God, so far beyond us, so high above us, so holy, so separate, so other, you might say. Now look, now look what this high, holy, exalted God who is high and above us does. Just look at verse 6 and you're getting to the answer to the problem. Who stoops down to look. On the heavens and the earth, he stoops down. This high, holy, exalted, enthroned God who is over us, above us. I mean, this is why I want to say, what a God we have. He stoops down. This is what makes me love God. I look at verse 7. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of their people. He settles the barren woman in her home as a happy mother of children. That says he takes the poor, the needy, the rejects, the people nobody pays attention to. And in his eyes, they are seated with princes. He stoops down, says this word of God, stoops down because he knows the heart of a lady who loves kids and for the life of her, she can't get pregnant. He stoops down this high, holy, exalted, enthroned above us, over us, God, and knows her heart and by his wonderful, glorious power, what does he do? He makes her get this, the happy, see that, the happy, the happy mother of children, the psalm ends, praise the Lord. Does that touch anybody else? I mean, you read something like that. Anybody want to yell, what a God we have. What a God we have. I read stuff like that and I can't help it. From his heaven, he stoops down. The great problem solver. The problem was God, holy, can't ignore sin. He's got to punish it. At the same time, God is madly in love with you and me. And he wants to spend eternity with us. But he can't because he's just. He's in this tension. He loves us so much and wants us with him forever, but his justice will not allow that. Sin has to be dealt with. So what does he do? He solves the problem by stooping down. Our great problem-solving God stoops down. Project yourself back in time. Let's say you're a shepherd. And people are telling their kids, work hard so you don't have to be 
a shepherd. Study, become a priest, become a doctor of the law, buy three or four boats, start a fishing business. If you don't, you could end up a shepherd. And you're a shepherd. And then I look at the great stooping down in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. I've got that word them circled. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were terrified. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. I got that circled. You. Shepherds. He is Christ, meaning the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes or swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. He stooped down. He came from heaven to earth as our sin bearer. And the first people to see him were outcast shepherds. That takes me back to Psalm 113, verse 8. That's like taking these nobodies, these, these rejects, these outcasts of society, and sitting them with the princes of their people. You know, I think about stuff like this, and I write these messages. My mind goes all over the place, and I thought about Luke chapter, what is it? Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse, in verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he, was, as he was going into a village, listen to this, 10 men who had leprosy met him and, and they stood at a distance, at a distance, and they could, because that's what they had to do. They had leprosy. They were contagious. And they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity upon us. Now see, lepers, I, I think about that and I say lepers had to stay in leper colonies that was surrounded by a great big wall. They couldn't go outside those. Once they discovered you were a leper, they put you in this walled colony. It was like a prison. And so I'm asking myself the question when I read this, how do these lepers get out of that prison? They scale the wall and Jesus walks up to them. You know, and I'll bet, I'll bet he looked at those guys in their wretched condition and I'll bet tears came to his eyes. I really think that happened. And you know what? How long since these guys had a hug? Who would hug a leper? I kind of like to see him in my mind's eye walking up to these guys and hugging all 10 of these guys. And he says, go show yourself to the priest, which means you will be whole. And they were. He stooped down. He took them out of the ash heap and set them with princes. That's what it means he stooped down. And now I look at Luke 23 for the greatest. And this is verse 44. How did God solve this problem? It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. The sixth hour is, is nine o'clock, the ninth hour is, is noon. The sixth hour is noon, the ninth hour is, is, is three. It was now about three o'clock, or it was now about noon, or then the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, three o'clock, for the sun stopped shining. That was, a, that was supernatural. That was supernatural. God stopped the sun from shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. And so the sun stopped shining. It was dark when Jesus died with my sins in his body. You know what I think about? I think my sins were in the process. While he was hanging on that cross, my sins were in the process of being punished in him. See, he bore my punishment. He died for my sins. And you put your name in all this. And I said, God could not spend eternity with us because a just God had to punish sin. He had to separate himself from sin. 
And yes, he did punish sins. My sins were being punished in his son, Jesus Christ. Sin was dealt with. Sin was being paid for. Sin was being punished. Satan was defeated because Jesus stooped down and did that very thing. Anybody want to say what a God we have? And if you hold the truth of Scripture, this truth, and buy into it and embrace it and believe it, your every sin is paid for. You have the gift of eternal life, and you can spend eternity with God, and the problems are solved. The problem is solved. I mean, your sins will never condemn you. Now, they will if you reject Jesus Christ. Your sins will condemn you if you reject him. Hear me, they will. You will spend an eternity in hell apart from God. But for those who believe in him, you're free, man. You're free of worrying about that stuff. You're free. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're free. You're worried about what happens when you die. Jesus, Jesus, you know, his life is as important as his death. This is doctrine. He kept the demands of God's law perfectly for you and me in your place. And now I'm saved for eternity, man. I sin and I'm forgiven because he stooped down. And now, problem solved. The justice of God is satisfied. The love of God is satisfied. He can spend eternity with us. And I just want to cry out, what a God we have. See, and I think about this, the message is about humility. I mean, this, this, uh, this God of Psalm 113, let's go back to that, who is over all, above the heavens, who sits enthroned on high. This God stooped down, and that's humility at its zenith. Folks, that is the ultimate in humility. To solve the sin problem, the great problem solver had to have humility. And I read that and I say, if God can do it, so can I. I need to practice humility. So let's look at um, three principles as to um, how to act humbly. Let's put it that way. How to act humbly. The first thing that moves us toward humility, how to act humbly, is, is, is it's how you see yourself and how you think about yourself. Why could Jesus come from heaven to earth, be born in a stable? Why could he be revealed first to shepherds and maybe hug leopards? lepers? It's how he thought about himself. When I talk about key verses in Scripture... Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, and you probably don't have to search for this. This is, this is so key in Scripture. Let me just read this to you. Your attitude, verse 5, Philippians 2, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but made himself nothing, nothing. So get into the heart and mind of Jesus Christ. He knew. We needed to be reconciled to the Father. And Jesus didn't think, hey, I'm God. I'm not leaving my home, my perfect place. I got all these angels worshiping me. I'm staying. No way I'm going. No, what did he do? He stooped down. You know what it came to? Question I ask myself a lot. Came down to this question. Whose need am I going to meet first? Theirs or mine? See, and if you think of yourself as more important than other people, the other people God put in your life, and begin with, begin with your family, then, um, then you're not humble, you're proud. Uh, what I'm saying is this, how you see yourself. In our passage from memory, we've got to take this seriously. These passages from memory, I pray you memorize these things and take these things seriously. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul writes this, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. I mean, just remember that when you come, into and come to attention, whose who's need am I going to meet first? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. See, God's word teaches us that God sends people into our lives. He sends people into our lives for a lot of reasons. I think number one reason he sends people into our lives is to irritate us. Seriously. And that matures us in our faith. Secondly, he sends people into our lives to criticize us because that gets us back on the right track. 
He sends people into our lives to minister to, and he sends people into our lives to minister to us. And I'm not saying I have to drop what I'm doing for every single person, because I don't. You have to be discerning about that. But here's the big deal. I have to be ready to do that. You fill in the details. You stoop down from your position. You think of yourself as a servant, and that is a discipline. You've got to think, servant, 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 servant. That's who I am, see? Had this attitude that Jesus had, though he was God, did not hold on to his rights as God. You know, here's something else about that, too. Um, I, you know, I can look at somebody who, who, who's unsaved, and this is where pride comes in. I, I look at these, these people who, whose values aren't my values. And I can look at those people, and I've done this, man, and I can say, oh, I am so not like them, see? And then I label them. I label them on the opposite team. I label them the enemy. That's pride. I need to see these people as potential team players for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's humility. See, humility is doing what Jesus did. High, above, exalted, Psalm 113. He stooped down. It's how you think of yourself. Here's the second thing that contributes to being humble. That's thanksgiving. I find the more I thank God, and we sang that this morning too, I find the more I thank God, the more I understand that all I am and ever hope to be is because he chooses to make me what he makes me and gives me what he gives me. He gives me my faith, my family, my calling, anything I possess, all from him. And when you understand that, when you understand that everything is from God, everything, and you're thankful, how can you be proud? I mean, thanksgiving will not let you be proud, and pride is the opposite of humility. I look at Psalm 143. There's a verse here, too, that touches me. I think about this a lot. In Psalm 143, verse 1, David cries out. He says, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy and your faithfulness and righteousness. Come to my relief. And so David's praying for relief. He's praying for mercy. But he says in verse 2, do not bring your servant into judgment for no one living is righteous before you. So he cries out for relief and mercy, but he knows what he deserves. He deserves judgment. And he says, no one, no, no one living is righteous before you except through the blood and merits of Jesus Christ. David says, I'm praying for relief and mercy, but I don't deserve any of it. What I deserve is judgment. Lord, you bring me into your presence and you hear me and you answer my prayers. When I deserve judgment, ever say thank you for that, Lord? I mean, that's got to make us humble. I mean, thank God for everything. When you thank God for every single thing, I mean, you get this sense that you deserve nothing, and that's a tough pill to swallow, but you don't, I don't. Remember the definition of sin, man. Remember the problem God had. You develop this sense that you deserve nothing, and everything is by God's grace and mercy, and that's got to lead to humility. So thanksgiving tends toward humility. The last one, people are drawn to humility. You've got to understand that people are drawn toward humble people. How many people here this morning are attracted to people, and raise your hand. How many people here this morning are, are attracted to people who always have to be right? It's pride. That's all it is. It's sheer pride. Always have to be right. And if that's you, I just want to show you the majority opinion today. You're not attractive. Nobody wants to be around you when you're like that, okay? It's pride. You drive people away. Humble people don't always have to be right. Humble people drop what they're doing and they meet other people's needs first because they frankly are not the most important people in the world. Humble people listen because the other person has something valuable to say and they might learn instead of always talking. Those simple little things say something about you and they send a message about Christians. See, a humble spirit invites people to know you better. 
When you're humble, they're open to you. They want to know you. They want to get to know you better. You gain their trust, and then guess what? Then when you do that, when you're humble and you're, and you're open and they're drawn to you, um, they will listen to you, and you can bless people. And that opens all kinds of doors to lead unsaved people across the line from eternal death to eternal life. Humble people have more opportunity to do that, I'll tell you. Is that something to pray about? Is that something to work toward and be conscious of? Anyway, today we've seen God, um, the great problem solver the great problem of our sin. God is madly in love with you and me, but he couldn't ignore our sin, and so he came from heaven to earth. Psalm 113 tells us, he is above, high, over, and he stooped down. He left it all and saved us. He solved the problem of our sin by punishing his son, and now he can spend eternity with us forever. Then he sat the rejects with the princes. He gave the barren woman children. And we saw three principles of working toward being humble. First, think like a servant. See yourself as a servant. Think like a servant. Think I'm here to serve, not to be served. Think like that 24-7. Second principle, thank God for everything. When we understand that everything is from God's hand of mercy, out of pure love, there's no way with that understanding you can demand your rights and be arrogant. Third principle, we've seen that people are attracted, not to pride, but to humble people. And that opens all kinds of doors for service and ministry. And I just pray these words are a blessing to you. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.